as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We're joined by Patrick Svitek from the Texas Tribune. Uh, a very intriguing conversation to be had here in South Texas as uh, it potentially, I don't, I don't know if South Texas Democrats are getting the support that they're used to having. Uh, what has been the story so far, Patrick? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, so as you guys, we discussed before, uh, Republicans are targeting three congressional seats in South Texas, uh, the 34th district, the 15th district and the 28th district. And this latest drama centers on the 15th district, uh, which is, uh, based in McAllen. Um, and what you have there is a situation where national Democrats, um, are just not trying as hard as they are in the two other districts. And it kind of came to a head Earlier this week, when the publication Axios reported that um, one of the big Democratic uh, super PACs, House Majority PAC, was planning to end its TV reservations there uh, at the end of the month, uh, which is always uh, an ominous sign um, in this context. And so that brought out, um, you know, some, some real hard feelings, uh, you know, from in-state Democrats who, who, you know, do feel that national Democrats um, have not been paying enough attention to South Texas as the Republicans have made no secret um, that they want to uh, kind of turn that region red. And so that's in a nutshell, the latest drama. I, uh, uh, Davey and I can kind of uh, add to that. If, if you remember uh, Davey and you, Davey will back me up on this, but if you remember during the, the special election uh, for Myra Flores's race, that, uh, Dan Sanchez had yep. made public on Twitter, hey, listen, I, I, we would have done a whole lot better if we had some support, and we had a hard time getting some of that. And and, and it's not like Dan Sanchez is uh, like, a, like a jobber, like they say in wrestling he, terms, just for the squash match. He's he was, he's like a guy with a background and experience. Yeah. He knows people, and he's got, you know, he's got he a, like a, like a pedigree. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a he's got a good political pedigree to him. So it's not like he was just some nobody who was running, and and he, he was having a hard time getting support from the higher ups. Right. Yeah, he, that was a huge point of contention between national and state Democrats in that special election. Obviously, after the Democrats lost that special election, Sanchez himself, and then also other in-state Democrats, um, pretty squarely put the blame on the National Democratic Party for not investing enough in the race. And so this does feel a little bit like deja vu. Um, I should note it, it is, you know, politically, it's a very um, dynamic and complex situation. Uh, the national democratic <laughs> groups are spending heavily and on TV in those two other South Texas congressional districts. And they have put resources into this race in the 15th district. They've uh, run digital ads, radio ads, um, and they, you know, they say they've opened uh, an office there in the spring that is still functional. Um, but at the end of these congressional races, 
you know, the, the most sought after way to reach voters is on TV. It's the most expensive way. It reaches the widest audience. Um, and it's the, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say the biggest bang for your buck because some people would dispute that. But in terms of what really matters at the end of these campaigns, it's having that additional support, um, on the air, on TV, and in the 15th district. Uh, neither House Majority Pack or the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee are doing that, and that's uh, pretty, uh, pretty, gl- uh, pretty glaring omission at this point in the election cycle. Our guest is Patrick Zvitek from the Texas Tribune. Our guest on your nine five six drive home, uh, South or sorry, national level Democrats seem to be. What's the opposite of circling the wagon? The, whatever the opposite of that is, that's what's kind of happening with South Texas Democrats right here. Davis Rankin, your question. Yeah, uh, Patrick, a couple of questions. You probably don't know the answer to, but I'm going to try and not because you're not good at it, but I think, you know, I don't know where these decisions are made. I'm, I'm assuming the decision to pull back from uh, from the funding we were talking about occurred in Washington behind closed doors, whoever they are. So you'd have to have a snitch there to tell you. And number uh, number two, do, is there any indication that Texas Democrats were involved in this decision-making or was it just surprise? Um, what, do, what do you know? No, and so the, the way this money is, is spent by these groups based in D.C., uh, you know, actually under the law, they, they, they can't really um, coordinate in most cases with the campaigns. Oh. And so no Texas Democrats, uh, you know, were involved in the decision to pull back on okay. the district. Um, and they probably couldn't be legally either. But, you know, the, the way that these committees uh, operate in D.C. is, you know, their their role is to, um, at least, you know, for Democrats is, you know, in this case, to try to save the majority. And especially at this point in the election cycle in October, they have to make some pretty uh, tough, at times, ruthless decisions about um, who gets their, their financial support at the end and, and who doesn't. And also, too, I should note that, they they tend to favor protecting incumbents before contesting open seats. Yeah. And this seat in the 15th district is an open seat. And in the two other congressional districts in South Texas, uh, you have two incumbents, Vicente Gonzalez in, in the 34th district and then Henry Cuellar in the 28th district. And so if you think about it in that, in that context, you know, it, it's not too surprising that the 15th district is getting the, is kind of the, the first one here, um, to lose this level of financial yeah. support. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's nonetheless, you know, really um, dispiriting to people, Democrats in that district who oh, yeah. are working really hard. Is there any uh, uh, any uh, good polling that shows Congressman Cuellar from Laredo is behind his Republican opponent? Any that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of. In these congressional, you know, districts, you very rarely get, you know, any kind of yeah. real public polling. Sometimes you have some internal polls that leak out. Uh, but in the case yeah. of the 28th district, I don't think either side has put out any internal polling. I, I was with uh, Congressman Cuellar in San Antonio on Monday. He was opening a um, campaign office here, and he spoke to supporters and said he feels good, but he's not taking anything for granted. Um, you know, I do think that among political observers, in Austin and in D.C. at least, um, people believe that Cuellar may be in the best shape of uh, of these three, you know, the, the best shape of these, sure. these three districts where Democrats are having to defend themselves. Um, you know, he is a pretty, um, you know, <laughs> uh, battle-tested campaigner after two uh, just incredibly yeah. nasty, vicious yeah. binaries of his own. Um, 
And, you know, he's also someone who's a little harder to attack on uh, ideological matters because he is one of the most moderate uh, Democrats in the House. And so it's a little hard for the Republicans sometimes, I think, to paint yeah. him um, as, uh, you know, a, a radical liberal or whatever term you want to use. Patrick Zvitek is a writer for the Texas Tribune, our guest on your 956 drive home. As far as uh, Texas 15 is concerned, is it really that far out of reach for Democrats that they're willing to just abandon it like that? So this this is a district that was redistricted to be a little more favorable for Republicans, at least based on the presidential margin. This is a district that Donald Trump, I think, would have carried by three percentage points in 2020 if, if the new version of the district was around back then. Um, and so, you know, on paper, it looks like a district that should be within reach for Democrats. Um, but we've seen signs that, you know, there is a real, you know, in these congressional districts, we've seen signs that there is a, a real shift happening in favor of Republicans. I mean, take, take for example, the 34th district next door. That was supposed to be, a, you know, it was redrawn to be a safer Democratic district so that Vicente Gonzalez, um, you know, so safe that Vicente Gonzalez decided to seek re-election over there. Um, and now he's caught himself in a race that everybody and all the prognosticators are calling a toss-up. And that was a district that Trump um, would have lost by 16 points. And so you are seeing signs that, um, you know, there is a real shift happening here. And, uh, you know, the fact that the, the national Democrats um, don't see, uh, you know, an incentive to invest in the 15th district as much as in the 34th district and 28th district probably tells you that they, they think that that one is, is a lost cause. Wow. Ooh. I, I'm fairly interested to see There's what never been will happen when the dust settles, the smoke clears, the chips fall where they may, and all the other little euphemisms you can throw out there. Thanks a lot, Patrick, for your Thank time you. as usual. Patrick Svitek from the Texas Tribune joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Interesting discussion. I saw a Texas Tribune article earlier uh, was he what yesterday? And I asked Davey, I wonder what this is about. So there's this thing called the Crenshaw Youth Summit. Dan Crenshaw, Screeaw, the Eagle. And uh, this was what? in downtown Houston over the weekend. And there's a there's a neat little discussion to be had within the within the GOP. Some of the the older members, the old guard, as it was as, as it's put, they believe in different things than some of the younger generation coming in. And not that it's created a rift just yet, but it does spark an interesting conversation about the future of the party. There's a rift. I, I don't want to... Okay, there is a rift, but I don't want to inject that commentary just yet. We uh, Go ahead and introduce our guest, Davey. I'll give you the pleasure. 
Our, our guest is uh, Brandon Roddinghouse. He's been with us before. He uh, teaches political science, if memory serves, at the University of Houston and um, uh, kind of messed up and got quoted in this Texas Tribune article about, you know, I, I think it deserves uh, the, the the attention we're giving it. The, the Crenshaw thing, and Forgive me, but Crenshaw has been attacked by as conservative as he is. He has been on the receiving end of, you know, he's a rhino, Republican in name only. I don't know what he's done to offend the real hard right wingers. Uh, he lost an eye in the service of our country. He's been elected twice, I believe. And so they were talking about conservative stuff. But what some Republicans want to campaign on uh, are so-called social issues. They're really strong in the Republican 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 world right now, uh, to the discomfort of some, meaning uh, attention on trans, transsexuals, uh, and, and these social issues are cutting a rift between the younger generation. Yeah, because and the young people just don't see it that way. They don't see how, it the way. How can you break it down for us, Professor? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I think you make a good point. I think it's not just about the way that. It's the way the leaders in the party feel and the way young people feel, but also the kind of shit you're focusing on. Like if you look at the polling, the things that the young people care about in terms of their top priorities tend to be things like moral issues. They care about healthcare uh, and they care about climate change. And so there's just a lot of disconnect between the younger generation and between the current generation who are leading the GOP. Is there any polling information or what's your opinion of why Younger people are not um, interested in uh, tra trans sexuals, trans people, um, protection, or what. I'm not sure exactly what it is with LGBTQ stuff because it, it kind of depends. Why are they not um, head up on this? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, on the question about the polling, there is polling on preferences among younger people. So, like the Texas Tribune. And UT polls has got a really good set of longitudinal data to look at, you know, how different groups of people feel about different issues. And so you can see there the ways that the older generation thinks differently in terms of priorities in the younger generation. Um, on specifically in your question about kind of why it is that the younger generation is more culturally progressive. I'm not totally sure. Um, I haven't seen polling on it, but I guess my hunch in looking at this politically and having like worked with these students who are younger. Um, I just think that, you know, they grew up in a, a different world than you and I grew up in. It's something where you've got a lot more um, a kind of sense that uh, some of these um, different ways of, you know, orienting yourself uh, mm -hmm. are, are okay. And so it's partly that they've been taught that probably they're kind of figuring on their own. They may have friends who are gay or who are transgender um, family members in the same way. So I just think that I'm not an expert in this in particular, which is why I'm stammering through this question. But I think that in general <laughs> that you've just got a kind of generational change in terms of how we understand these issues and the personalness with which we feel it. So I think that's largely driving that difference. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, Brandon, uh, Professor Brandon Ronninghouse from University of Houston, PolySci, joining us on 710KURV. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of like what was happening during the Rona when people were just kind of fed up with politics in general. They started just unfriending people. 
You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. put up with this anymore. And a lot of the younger people, like yeah. you mentioned, they they might have a friend that might be going through a particular situation. And there's a there's a quote from the Texas Tribune article I think uh, encapsulates it. They they pulled one of the kids that was at the at the Dan Crenshaw Youth Summit, and he says, yeah. "I'm pro life. I believe that life begins at conception. But there are a lot of people who don't have the same religion or morals that I do." And I think yeah. that's that that that's a good encapsulation of a lot of uh, people in that particular demographic who are like, "Hey, I mean, we're here for liberty. We didn't like it when we were being told what to do during the Rona, and and in a lot of other ways, we're kind of doing that to other people." I don't want to make yeah. that. I wouldn't make that decision myself, but I can't stop somebody else from doing it. But we yeah. do stop people from doing it. So when when was the battle? I'm going to approach this from the side and. Um, the, the um, push uh, homosexuals off to, to off to one side. I always say every every family's got at least one homosexual, one gay person. So hating gay people, you just hate your own, you just hate your own your own family, and that's not cool. So I regard that as different than transsexual because transsexual some of that some of that world to me is baffling because it seems to be a creation of someone's mind as opposed to a distinct state of being. Uh, and the Republicans in the Texas legislature seems to have done a masterful job of not explaining anything about what their, you know their policies are. Girls can't pee with boys, can't use the bathroom. Well, you know they've lost the fight when it's characterized that way, Professor. They've lost the fight. They're not going to win that fight. So when was the battle lost? Yeah, I think that the Republicans kind of on this issue to younger crowd. I think like we said that many of them are a little bit more open-minded about these sorts of things. And although they may have their own personal preferences, like everybody does, and they have their own beliefs. I think that people generally speaking in the younger group are are more used to it. They just have seen it more. And I think actually too, I mean, I I know this is true and, you know, I'm sure you all seen this true as well, where, you know, sometimes this, you know, these sorts of things, um, you know, don't seem like the kind of, world you grew up in and so it's i think strange for a lot of older people who don't sort of see this and understand it and obviously like you say and there hasn't been a lot of education about this and the politicians aren't really in that business anyway so i do think that it's at least temporarily something that can be used as a wedge um you know in terms of partisanship but the problem is that if you do that in the long term you're going to hurt your chances to communicate to younger voters so I think you're going to see the Republican youth vote shrink and it won't shrink to nothing because they're still, you know, Republican youth and they're going to grow up in environments where they're comfortable with the Republican party and the politics of it and that ideology. But it's definitely going to be a lot smaller than it was. And if you think about that in the long term, the way the state is changing, the way the country is changing, it's going to be a lot younger in 10 years, 20 years. So the politics of this are pretty clear. If you can't make that change, it's going to be potentially a problem to shrink your party. Your dog agrees with me. I can hear him. Is this more of a cultural thing where we're kind of, we're, we're so at odds with each other where it's, if, if I'm team red, I have to despise team blue and everything that it's about. I, I, like I have this salsa analogy and I know this is kind of silly, but if, if I like green salsa, I have to hate people who like red salsa. Mm -hmm. And even though I do like green salsa, if I were, if I, if I wanted to change the recipe up a little bit of the green salsa, I would get hatred from everybody else who likes green salsa because I want to change up the recipe just a tiny bit. But do we, do we have to hate everybody? Everybody on the other side. (laughs) 
we don't. Um, I'm with you. I'm a big fan of both. Uh, I think that you need to be able to understand, and I think you make an appropriate uh, analogy because people do need a broader diet. They need to understand and be have a taste for the way other people see it. It might not be your taste, but at least you understand it. And that's something we don't do as much anymore. What you're talking about is this phenomenon we call affective polarization, affective with an A. And the way this is sort of the basically tribalism. It's the we hate you, you hate us sort of dynamic. Yeah. And it's funny because it bleeds into so many different things. It's uh, assuming that we can develop a world where we can be cognizant of the other side and listen to you know the news of the organizations that we don't necessarily like. It actually has a tendency to increase the way that polarization manifests because you are a lot of people actually use that just as a way to kind of you know, get a, their, their hate on <laughs> and get a sense of, you know, they're, they're, you know, rile themselves up about the way other people feel. But it's a real mindset change that has to happen because if you can't have that, then it's simply exposing people to the other side isn't enough. You have to be able to teach them how to understand that there are differences of opinion and that's okay. And we can agree on a lot and disagree on a little. Yeah, and it's a it's a good point. Thank you. Something that should be brought up is the the way the the Texas GOP feels about Greg Abbott. How there's people that um, think that he's not right wing enough, and then it was brought up at the KXAN uh, debate. Hey, have you become too right wing? <laughs> I just I laughed out loud, and I, I like milk came out of my nose. Like when I was when I heard that question, like Are you nuts? Are you serious? It was just it was just fascinating that um, yeah. just depending on where you are in the political spectrum that uh, Greg Abbott is this right wing extreme radicalist person, and uh, to other people uh, he's just like this liberal pansy. <laughs> right, you can't say that on the radio. Yeah, I mean, obviously, where you see what you see depends on where you sit. There's no question that colors your perspective on things, but I think. Certainly, you're seeing a real change in the Republican Party since the 90s. You're definitely seeing that change in the last couple of years of the Republican-Democratic interaction. So it's not surprising that this happens because this politics in Texas has become nationalized. So you basically see this red-blue split that is hard to mm -hmm. avoid. And because the national parties are so far apart, now we have the Texas parties that are so far apart. That doesn't mean the people are. It just means that the politicians who are running are. And as a result, we're seeing difficulty of a lot of people who are in the middle and say, well, I don't know who to vote for because they're both so far out that neither of them really appeal to me. Well, the sounds, I mean, that's a prescription. What we've painted is a prescription for the permanent minority nationally, I would think, of the Republican Party as we see it now. They can't, they can't outrun the demographics. Older people who feel one way are going to die, younger people are coming on, and they're not, they're, they're not, um, they don't see it the same way. Yeah. So it is. I mean, it, it's a, it's a losing proposition. That's not to say there won't be other issues that'll come up that will allow the party to be yeah. in better stead. But I do think, I mean, if I was advising Republican politicians, I would say that the party under Rick Perry was when it was doing its best. And those are basically economic issues and you try to ignore the social issues as much as you could. It's hard to go back because the activists in the party are so committed to it. And it's been such a, strong part of the base yeah. that politicians are risk averse enough that they don't want to make those changes. So that's a really tough thing to do. But I do think that it takes leaders who see that vision and try to control it to some degree. That's what Dan Crenshaw was trying to do. He was trying to essentially kind of put his own brand on the politics of, 
young people. Yeah. And even if it might not work, it's certainly a way for him to be able to cement his role in the party. And can I just say that his graphic designer was on point. It looked like it was a banger out there <laughs> with the with the 80s vibe to it. I love that. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot for your Thank time. You. Uh, Brandon Ridinghouse, Professor Brandon Ridinghouse from University of Houston joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. The immediate thing we want to talk about with our guest is, um, well, let me read this. This is the headline. This is from Texas Tribune and something called ProPublica. Their investigative unit, although this doesn't seem to require investigation, just requires calling people. Uh, With the 2022 midterms less than a month away, election administrators in Texas and elsewhere continue to uh, face a level of harassment and threats that experts say had never been experienced before the November 2020 presidential election. In August, uh, I've talked about this, the entire staff of the elections office in Gillespie County Fredericksburg, I believe, uh, resigned, citing threats. They had one full-time employee, the, the administrator, and then two part-times. They've been there for a while. And there was a, an argument about fluoride, of all things. I mean, that goes back 50 years, 60 years, when there was a pushback against fluoridated water. It was a communist plot. Um, the same month, the Bear County Elections Administrator Jacques Callanan told a San Antonio news station that her department was confronting uh, similar challenges. I, uh, she said, threats, meanness, and ugliness. Now, I, I confess, I have heard, we have heard nothing like that down here. Uh, in fact, I've heard not, not a discouraging word, uh, actually. Um, so if it's going on, we're not getting the word. Uh, Chris Davis uh, used to be the election administrator, if memory serves, in Cameron County. That's where... Uh, Remy is now, and uh, now he is in Williamson County, which is north of it's Round Rock, right? Round Rock. Yes, sir. And, Round Rock, Georgetown, that area. All right, here's a here's a, a, a immediate left turn. We'll get this out of the way. When I lived there, there was this donut place in Round Rock that was renowned. I never had any because you had to go up there and get, get in a line. I can't imagine. Is it still there? Do you ever get those? Round Rock donuts got the orange icing. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. Oh. Except it's orange icing. It'd be great if it was maroon icing, but another story. Well, you got to get those boys to start playing better. Uh, so the, the headline says that you guys are under attack. Now, discounting this for, you know, it's a headline, and they're talking about the entire state of Texas, but uh, are you all under attack? A little bit of hyperbole there, I think, Davis. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I don't think we're under <laughs> Never. Uh, attack. Uh I, you know, the attention to the kind of work that election administrators do and county clerks do in Texas, 
that's great. It's appreciated. Uh, it's never been more complex. It's never been more difficult. It's never been more legally fraught, uh, particularly after last year's legislative session. Uh, but, well, all I can speak for is my county in Williamson County. And, uh, and it, it was the same way in Cameron County, both when I was there and I think with Remy there now. Uh, we've got supportive uh, leadership that, you know, have our back and, and give us the resources and uh, the, the, the personnel needed to, to be successful. And I think that was one of the issues in Gillespie County with the EA there. Not only they yeah. were taxed, but they were short-staffed, yeah. underpaid, overworked, not a lot of resources. Yeah, the I was completely unawares that there was a, an argument over fluoridating the water in Fredericksburg because that goes back. I mean, I thought we put that to bed in the 50s or early 60s. Um, do you know anything more about it? I know some of the um, characters in that drama, uh, particularly on the on the plaintiff side in that suit. Uh, there, uh, it actually ties in well to what we're talking about. One of the individuals that was featured in that article is fashions themselves as kind of a trainer, small t, quote unquote, trainer of poll watchers, and um, hmm. been a thorn in the side of several uh, counties and several counties' elections offices. Uh, but. Um, yeah, that was that was. I didn't know the specifics until I read it as well. That it was dealing with fluoride in the water, a, a municipal election yeah. uh, that had already occurred and been settled. Well, what, like I say, if any of the local elections administrators or people even involved in politics have felt under threat or under siege, it has not been reported. Nobody's called me. Uh, people I know work in politics have not said a thing. And I think if it were significant, we would have got a. A phone call um, or the TVs would have picked it up uh, but so uh, assuming that this is overstatement to get people to look at the story which is frustrating but totally understandable what is the state what wh- where are people under well, attack if, if, if they are under attack yeah if well you know elections are front and center and I think that, that's an area, I think, that election administrators and county clerks, those county election officials or folks that run elections, and I'm not, uh, I'm one of, not used to, not used to being at the front of this. I think elections were the straw that stirred the drink in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in last year's state legislative session. I mean, one party or one half of the, uh, uh, one side of the aisle didn't leave the state uh, for yeah. anything else other than you know, the elections legislation that was being contemplated. And that's unlike, well, the other legislative sessions in previous years that I remember, elections was front and center. Uh, uh, trust in elections, although I believe it's a extreme minority that distrust, uh, you know, elections. and uh, But the, it's a very vocal minority, and we hear about them. So while I'm sure I'd take any, you know, threat that a county election official would receive seriously and those should be treated seriously um it, it the work has been difficult in a whole lot of other ways too we've there's almost been a weaponization of public information requests yeah that county election officers are seeing and i'm all for transparency but we i've seen providing information that folks are requesting and they still think that it supports this totally debunked notion of election fraud or a stolen election what do people think that's frustrating just what a what a what, what's the typical belief that you 
that's bogus? What's the typical thing they believe or is believed that is just not true? And they're asking for information to try to prove their point. That voting systems in Texas, the voting machinery is connected to the Internet or that's somehow networked. And that is just not so. It's not allowed by state law. There is no voting system that's in use in Texas that is connected to the Internet. Yet um, these folks insist as much. And the, mm. I don't know, the My Pillow CEOs and the other folks oh, yeah. that are leading you know, th- these groups insist that it's so and it's not. And we say it till we're blue in the face that it's not a thing. And we encourage these folks to come look at our system. Come look at the tests that we do. If they really want to understand how an election works, they could do a lot worse than actually volunteer to be a poll worker. Well, that's it's the easiest yeah. way to learn how to how to run how an elections run. There are elections uh, party uh, uh, affiliated elections workers. They poll watchers. They're there for the candidate, uh, and then there are election workers who draw a, a daily wage from the state of tech, wherever the county is uh, two different worlds and I think they're having trouble as always trying to get people to work on election day to do that they have to be trained ahead of time um, and then but that's separate and apart from the poll watchers who are volunteering their time are you having um, I don't know how many polling places you have or how many people you need to get the ones that you will pay out of the county till how many are you looking for we're looking for about 700 to 800 ah. for the elections that are coming up in November. Uh, and I know Remy and, and the folks in Hidalgo County yeah. are looking at similar numbers. Really, Williamson County and Hidalgo County are very, very similar in terms of number of registered voters, right around the low 400,000 each. And I think there's a, lo- there's a lot of similarity in the number of polling places that our two counties have in terms of early voting sites. We've got about 2022 for early voting for this election. And we're going to be going up to 65 for election day. It means a lot of workers, even for early voting. That's a two-week period, yeah. 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day of that period. We're awfully, you know, we're entertaining split shifts. We're having one shift in the morning, one yeah. shift in the afternoon. So these folks don't get exhausted. It, it can be uh, tiring work, fulfilling work, but tiring work. What's it pay? You know, our county pays seventeen dollars for the presiding officer and fifteen uh, for a clerks. day. Uh, and that, uh, an hour, excuse me, an hour. Okay. Uh, an hour. And um, th- that's we see different levels of different counties. Are yeah. we just had a, a bit of a hike, a two dollar hike in our county because, um, well, there it was hard to get. People. It wasn't very competitive. Yeah. Some of the other kind of work that you see out there in the in the community. Back then, at fifty two minutes past, we got one minute um, to follow up on what you said about because um, I, as I told you, I've told people. Those machines, I, me, I'd go back to the paper ballot. I would go back to the dark ages, and everyone cringes when I say that. But the, the, those things are not connected to the Internet. They're not Wi-Fi ready. We said, well, how do they get their results back to to the elections office? I said, I guess they phone it in. I never, th- Or they take the thing down there, and, and they offload that, it there. That's what they do. They take it down there. They're, you don't really know allowed to phone in official results. Now, some of the bigger counties, Harris County, Tarrant County, Dallas County, maybe even San Antonio and Bear, they can kind of have these little hubs where the polling places in a region of the county report yeah. in, and they can kind of wire those in on the county internet. But it's the sneaker network, or it's they're literally, my workers are driving a media stick in, and the actual bit yeah. of ballots. Um, you know, that's not an uncommon desire. Folks want to go back to the manually marked 
paper ballot, but also manually counted. And I don't know if you're espousing that. <laughs> no. but if you want manually counted, you're going to have to be prepared to wait for results. Yes. I don't need KURV calling me every 30 minutes on election night finding out when the results are final. Oh. It may take days. Now you're getting ugly, Chris. You're getting, no, you're I'm right. You're right. Days. It would take a long time. Take a long time. Measured expectations. Yeah. Take right. a long time. Chris Davis, thank you very much. He is elections administrator in Williamson County. That's Round Rock, home of the famous Orange Donuts. You're listening to 710KYRV. This is the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We're letting you enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. <laughs> there were some uh, uh, leaked emails yeah. showing that Mexico's military may have sold grenades to the cartels. That's a big deal. Davis Rankin was able to track somebody down to talk about this. Go ahead and introduce him, Davey. Yeah, we talked uh, a number of times with... Uh, with our next guest when she was teaching at the University of Texas Brownsville, then University of Texas RGV. And now she is a full professor, just full professor at James Mason University in Virginia, uh, Guadalupe Cab- Correa Cabrera, if I can get that right, is, is kind of an expert on uh, cartels, border stuff. Um, so welcome. Uh, d- does um, this is th- this leak, which produced this, this story about, uh, and they have pictures of army guys selling stuff to a, a mm-hmm. cartel, a, a criminal group. Uh, this was from 2019. So right. is you think this is uh, the one, one and only time this ever happened? How extensive do you believe this sort of thing is? And is it going on now? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, it's always sure. To, to talk with with the people that I used to work with, so thank you. Uh, with regards to these leak emails and these uh, Serena leaks or Wakamaya leaks, has has you know they call mm-hmm. this group of hackers. Uh, the the number of communications it's enormous. Um, and at the same time, we don't really know what the context of the leak is, what, is, what are these reports, and how we can evaluate it. We don't really know from this information how extended this practice is, or maybe it has to do with some investigations regarding, um, you know, one member or two members of the armed forces. But the way that it is presented in Vice News, I mean, it's, it, it gives the, the idea that this is kind of like Mexico's military. And we need to see, yeah. I mean, it, we, we need to understand that it might be one member, two members, some members of Mexico's military, but that does not say anything about the whole institution. You also have, for example, border patrol agents that are corrupt and that are linked with, uh, with, 
migrant yeah. smugglers or even drug traffickers. So that does not uh, put the whole institution, um, you know, mm-hmm. under the, uh, I mean, un- under the eye of, of, or, or as, you know, we are, we are really classifying, uh, the sure. corruption or the, the, the help that these members of the military gave to tell supposedly selling you know some grenades not many but some of them and yeah. also offered tactical equipment ammunition and supposedly information about uh, ri- rival gang members and government officials we don't know to what extent this happened where how i mean we don't really know the details but but definitely that does not i mean this leak cannot be you know extended to qualify or to assess uh, Mexico's military. This is very important because some people are just alleging that just because they saw a leak, what if this is an information or it's an ongoing investigation about mm-hmm. some corrupt members of the, of the military forces? That's something we cannot, um, I mean, we don't know and, and we cannot generalize or assess. Yeah. Um, the whole thing based on a leak. And we don't know what the quality of the leak is either. So we need to be careful. We're talking with Guadalupe Correa Cabrera. She teaches now at George Mason University in in Arlington, Virginia. Before that, she was at the University of Texas RGV. And uh, congratulations to uh, Madam you. Professor because she is now a full professor. Thank uh, you. Which, it's, it's, it's great. Thank it's you a, for it's that. a job for life, right, Professor? So, um, <laughs> um, do 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 um, wait, one of the one of the questions that has to come up is. Where do the cartels, the bad guys, get all this weaponry that we hear about or read about? Sometimes, and actually, very- if I can add on to that, where do they get these IT guys from? <laughs> well, I mean, um, this is a good question because, uh, for example, this email. I mean, you would say that they are linked with the uh, the police forces or the armed forces, but in reality, it's so easy to buy arms from the United States, particularly from the state of Texas. You oh, know, because professor. of the laws in the state of Texas, because of the cost, transportation costs also, you know, have a lot to do with this. Yeah. I mean, everybody can buy a very large amount of weapons and just give it to somebody else from a different country. And there's no track about these arms mm. sales. We know about that in, in, in the United States. Texas is one of the states with least, um, I mean, with least um, limitations to buy arms. So most of these arms are bought in the United States. Of course, arms come from many parts of the world. I mean, of course, they are producing uh, countries, but mm. the United States is better because it's easier, it's cheaper because of transportation costs. So most of the arms, I mean, are bought in the legal market and they are given to the cartels. This is, we have, hmm. I mean, you know, based on the cost and the risks and all that, it's better to buy it from whoever instead of buying it from a law enforcement agent, right? It happens. That's why yeah. this leak, you know, it just shows, um, I mean, it was very, it was very general. And they say that 70 hand grenades. One military member, it says, on May 31st, a military member offered 70 grenades to an operator of a criminal organization at 26,000 pesos each, roughly $1,300, the mm-hmm. documents show. But that's nothing. You know, it's one guy. I mean, it's, 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 it's normal also in the United States that members of law enforcement agencies, even of the military, are corrupt, and they are helping smugglers, human smugglers, or 
uh, drug traffickers. That's not something that's just in Mexico. And we cannot, from this information, we cannot assess the extent of these becoming like a more general practice or that this is kind of like, you know, yeah. very normal in, yeah. in the military. We don't really know from this leak, you know? Can, can I just mention that it, it, on the tail end of this Vice.com article that we're talking about where these leaked emails show Mexico's military sold grenades to the cartels, at the tail end of the article, uh, AMLO says the only thing important from the data breach was the information revealing that he suffers from angina. Oh, no, 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 no. I will tell you. I will tell you. This article is really badly written. I'm sorry. I have to tell you because this is kind of like a way to, um, you know, to put um, a, a lot of, um, you know, attention on the military, first of all. Where, I mean, and AMLO said days before this leak, um, you know, was public, this one in particular, because in the beginning, the first um, the leaks, the first leaks were advertised by a platform called Latinos, and they were announced by uh, a spokesperson, a journalist that is a big of the opposition to Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's administration, and he talked about. I mean, one of the highlights of that conversation of that of those leaks was the one that talked about um, talked about. Um, of the president. He suffered a heart attack, uh, we know that, and he's being in supervision, right? You know, he goes to the to the to the doctor frequently to check him up. But that was nothing uh very serious. This what this article does, which is why it is tricky, and, and this article tried to mix these two things, it's like, yes, the president say that and said that in the beginning, because that was the information that leaked at that time. Uh, I mean, the information that had a lot to do with the president's health. And, and of <laughs> course, other, other things that we already knew. But we have to verify this. I mean, and the, what we know is that the president is extremely active. He wakes up very early in the morning to start yeah. his mañanera, you know, this press um, yeah. conference that he gives a daily. So he made fun of this in one of the mañaneras, but that does not mean that he was putting this down. I mean, he, he basically yeah. rejected the fact that this was going to be a big deal and more and more leaks are appearing. But this is, I mean, but this coverage was kind of like also, you know, um, written or this story was written in a way that, oh, no, yeah. look, this is a leak that is very complicated. And it's it's very uh, I mean, you know, it's it's very worrisome that members yeah. of the armed forces are selling grenades to the cartels. But at the same time, the president neglects that and just minimizes that 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 fact. Well, he minimized the leaks. But, you know, it was not put in that context. The context well, was put by if, the media. If I were person. if I were the president of Mexico and the cartels were running things, basically, I would have heart problems, too. That's <laughs> that's kind of what I can draw from this. Well, hey, thanks a lot thank for your you time and, and the analysis that you gave us. That's a lot of good information. Appreciate it. Guadalupe Correa Cabrera joining us on News Talk 710 KURB. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURB and KURB.com. 
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. To running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.